All right, well, uh, Veritas, good to be here. I'm Mark, one of the pastors here, and we are finishing our study of Revelation this morning, uh, Revelation 22, last page, last chapter of the Bible, and uh, it's, it's a good one. So this last week, uh, a friend of mine was telling me about a conversation with one of his coworkers, and his coworker dropped this kind of hot take. He said, I don't want to go to heaven. Maybe a suburb of heaven, but I don't want to go to heaven. What is he saying? What he's saying is, you know, it seems like the closer you get to God, the more restrictive he is and the less free you are. Like he wants to be that close to heaven. You know, down in hell, it's like they're having a party, you know, playing poker, drinking whiskey, rock and roll, dance music's playing, people are dancing, like they're having a good time. But heaven, it's like you're trapped in this long, boring church service that never ends. Maybe that's uh, kind of how we, we struggle with that, don't we? Like, like, how can we imagine heaven as this place uh, of paradise? And, and what's it going to be like? Uh, some people might think of heaven as like a random place that they've never been and probably don't care to ever go. Like, how many of you want to go to Roland, Iowa when you die? Like, I, Roland, what's, what's there? Is that somebody, I don't, that's a town, yeah, somewhere in central Iowa, right? Or how many of you want to go to Iowa State campus? Uh, old RCA, Freeman Hall, how many of you are just like, totally, can't wait, let's go. It's a place that we don't, we don't know, we don't care about. We don't like, right? Uh, here's the thing, church. This is it this morning. We need to rethink heaven. We've got it all wrong, and we need to rethink it. So the question of the morning is, what is heaven going to be like? Let me tell you what it's going to be like. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then he showed me the, the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Revelation 22 is almost a quotation of verses that we've already heard before. This is a good time to step back from the Bible and say, okay, here we are in the last chapter. What, what happened in this story? Remember chapter one, uh, right, page one? We had a garden. We had, we had a tree of, we had trees, right? Like good fruit, no sin. Life was good here on, on earth, right? It was, it was paradise on earth. God was dwelling with Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, 
obviously the fall happens, but then you see these prophets show up right in the middle of the Bible, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and they tell us about heaven and what it's going to be like. And listen to their description, Isaiah 65, verse 17. It describes a new earth where people are rejoicing, just overwhelmed with joy. And it says that the wolf and the lamb are playing together. Ezekiel 47 describes, verse 12, this will be on the screen. It says, this, this chapter is probably the best chapter in the Bible most of you have never read before. You should go back when you get home and read Ezekiel 47 or at some point this next week. Ezekiel 47 is just, it's, it's awesome. It says, all kinds of trees providing food will grow along the banks of the river Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for eating and their leaves for healing. And this is, you guys, we've heard this before, right? This is Revelation 22. John is repeating Ezekiel's vision. And in Ezekiel 47, this, it describes it in more detail. It says this river, it's so pure that it comes from God. And it, you know, the Dead Sea, uh, there's, there's no, nothing can live in the Dead Sea because of the, the salt and minerals and, and whatever else is in there. Uh, and so the river that comes from the God's throne cleanses the Dead Sea and it comes to life. And every kind of fish starts inhabiting the sea. So this river is so pure that everything that makes the Dead Sea dead is like driven out. Imagine like the Iowa River, all of a sudden you're looking at it and it just like becomes transparent, drives out all the whatever's in there that makes it look like mud. Could you imagine this scene? And it comes from God and it brings everything to life. And these leaves are for the healing of the nation. The Greek word therapia, it's uh, therapy, healing. It's like not you know, cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy, physical therapy, right? This kind of therapy is like therapy that heals nations. Wow. So far, we've got a description from the prophets. We've got a new earth, a new garden, and then we get to Isaiah 2. He says, he describes it as a new city. It's a new Jerusalem. All the nations are streaming into this capital city, if you will. Zephaniah 3.17 says, in this city, Jerusalem, that the Lord God is, is over his people and he's singing over them. Some of you guys have heard that. The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will rejoice over you as singing. He will quiet you with his love. That's, that's the scene we get of heaven. So here's the question. What is heaven going to be like? We should know the answer to this question, right? We started in page one. We went to the middle and now we're at the end and it says the same thing. It's a new earth, it's a new garden, it's a new city. So when it, here's the point I wanna make from this if you're taking notes. When it comes to heaven, remember the more and better principle. Remember the more and better principle. Whatever heaven is gonna be like, it's gonna be more than this, not less than. It's going to be like Jesus had a resurrected body. He had a real body. It's going to be real. It's going to be 
better than this body. Whatever good thing you can imagine on earth, it's going to be more of it, and it's going to be better version of it. Everything is amplified. If you can imagine an earth without war, or a garden without weeds, or a city without pollution, you can start to imagine the glory that is to come. When you can imagine a worship service where you don't have to close your eyes, you're just in the presence of Jesus. You don't want to close your eyes because you're like, whoa. So we ask questions like, will there be dogs in heaven? What do you think based on the more and better principle? I'm going with probably. Why not? Wolves and lambs are there playing together. Why not your dog that you, that you love, right? I don't know if it's that dog or a new dog or what. I don't know. But it's going to be more and it's going to be better. Like God designed the first version. He'll do even better on the next one, right? It's going to be amazing. Now, some of you want to know about cats. It's way too controversial for this. Those of you cat lovers that are really offended by what I just said, you'll be happy to know uh, that I, I uh, in the last year, um, we got a couple cats. I now love cats. Um, we had to get rid of the cats yesterday. But anyway, I love cats. Um, like we have a bunch of people that are allergic to them in our house, so whatever. All right. Here's the lie from hell that I'm trying to confront right now. The closer you get to God, the further you get from joy. That is a lie. That is a lie. Psalm 16, 11, in your presence is what? What is in the presence of God? Psalm 16, 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. Eternal pleasures. We know about temporal pleasures, like a good vacation, but it's temporary. It ends. Not this one. Not this pleasure. It's eternal. Eternal pleasures forevermore. I was um, playing basketball with a buddy, and he had a, a Hawkeye t-shirt on. And, you know, it has our slogan, in heaven there is no beer, that's why we drink it here. And I went up to him, I was like, bro, you know that that t-shirt is not theologically correct, right? <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you, you never read Isaiah 25, verse 6? On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. And he looked at me. He said, well, it doesn't say anything about beer. <laughs> and I was stumped. I'm like, man, I have a point. And are any of you guys like me where you think of your best comebacks like a couple days later? Like, 
right? We get, we get our best ideas. Like, we're, our brains aren't, you know, that fast, so quick. And so, uh, anyway, we, we, I was thinking about that. And I was, I was thinking about, he's like, oh, he has a point. Vintage wine, though. Vintage. Like, this is the good stuff. And, and I'm just thinking, yeah, God wouldn't have cheap beer in heaven. But of course, we're not going to drink it there. Like, he's got only the best. Just like his meat is choice meat. So there's not going to be any of that, like, McDonald's pink slime meat in heaven. So I was thinking, like, their T-shirt is kind of like saying, you know, in heaven there is no McDonald's. That's why we eat it here. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of whatever. It's going to be better. But here's the point of what I'm saying is the reason that we kind of want the suburbs of heaven and not the real thing is because our desires are so weak and pitiful that when we think of, we eat McDonald's and we like it because we've never tasted filet mignon. The last page of the Bible is calling you to dream of more and something better. Hebrews 11 says, it's a city, it's a better city. It's a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. In light of this, what do we do? How do we respond to these verses? Let's read the last section of Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. Your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, don't seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who has ears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, 
God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. The Bible ends with an invitation. Did you see verse 17? Both the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who has ears say, come, let the one who's thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life freely. The Holy Spirit and the church are calling out to humanity, to everyone, and they're saying, come, come, an unlimited offer of grace unlimited, free gift, come freely. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to be worthy of it. Just come and drink. And the same water that brings life to a broken world brings life to your thirsty soul. And in verse 10, he says, then he said to me, don't steal up the words of this prophecy, this book, because the time is near. What does he mean by that? Don't seal it up. Some of the prophets would seal up their scroll. He's saying, no, 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 this one, unroll it. Keep it unrolled. Go to the rooftops and shout it out. Proclaim it. I'm coming soon. Come to Jesus. Be saved. Drink from the water of life. So the question is, what do we do in light of the more and better heaven that we are looking forward to? Point number one, invite people to come. Invite people to come. Come, what are we inviting them to do? Come, chapter seven, verse 14 of Revelation. Come, wash your robes by the blood of the lamb. Come, take your filthy rags, your sinful life, and exchange them for new clothes, the righteousness of Christ. Invite people to come. You know, the hard part of planning a wedding is uh, working with this thing we call a budget. <laughs> and the hardest part of a budget is figuring out, you know, like how many people are we gonna invite? You know, you got a lot of family, friends, like do a small wedding, big wedding, but no matter how big your wedding is, it can't be like too big, right? Because you gotta pay for it. Well, this wedding is a little different because there is no budget. It's just come, come one, come all. The Bible ends with an invitation to come. But did you see the warning that came along with this invitation? Verse 11, let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. What does that mean? Explain that to me. That sounds a little like fatalism to me. Like, well, God chooses who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, so just kind of carry on with your life, right? If you're living a sinful life, just keep going. Keep on that highway to hell, or if you're going to heaven, just stay righteous. Keep following Jesus. Is that what it's saying? No. What he's doing is he's highlighting here the finality of people's choices. 
People are choosing to do what they want to do. And the point I want to make from this, number two, what do we do in light of this glory that is to come? Number two, don't force the invitation. Let people make their choice. Your job is to share the good news and offer the free gift. But you can't control how people respond to that. It's like if you go out and get a friend a $500 gift card to the nicest restaurant in Johnson County. I don't know where that is because I've probably never been there. But you just are like, I'm going all in on this. And, and you give them this gift certificate. And you see them a week later and like, hey, did you use it? And they're like, no. Like a year goes by, hey, did you use the gift certificate? No. Man, it's just like McDonald's is so much quicker. You know, they have a drive-through and, and, you know, life's busy and we kind of like the McDouble and the super value meals and whatever, you know. And, and we still don't have time for that. Like, what are you going to do? Like, abduct them and make them go eat this amazing meal? No. Let those that eat at McDonald's keep eating. You know, let those, do you see what, do you kind of see the, the, the tone of this? It's like, hey, people are going to make their choices and you're not going to be able to control how people respond to this message. So share it, but don't force it. Verse 18, next thing. He says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of the book. That's you. Are you hearing this? All right. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. We often think that, okay, that means that we shouldn't add any other books onto the Bible. You know, certainly this applies to uh, like the Book of Mormon or the Quran or other uh, holy books that would say, you know, this angel or I got this revelation from God. It, it does apply to that. But I think even more than that, it, what he's saying is any attempt to change these words any attempt to omit or misinterpret or pick and choose what we want to hear. What will happen to that person? God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city. What would happen to me if I just got up here and just kind of came up with my own ideas and kind of, you know, leaving stuff out and not telling you the truth about what God's word says. What would happen to me? I would not go to heaven. Jesus is clear about this. When he says, the people in hell who are punished most severely are these false teachers, these religious leaders who claim to know God and lie about his word to his people. 
And then he says, outside of the, this is verse 15, outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Some of you guys are like, wait, you said there might be dogs in heaven. He says outside the dog. No. Uh, in this culture, um, this would be like, uh, like wild, rabid kind of dogs. Not your golden retriever or whatever. Um, this, what, what this is right here, verse 15, this is a call to holiness. If your invitation does not include a call to repentance, a call to turn away from sin, if when you preach the gospel, you say, come to Jesus and feel more comfortable about your sexual immorality, Jesus will condone whatever your lifestyle is and you know he'll love you no matter what, so just come to Jesus, drink the water, and continue doing the same stuff you've always done. See, our temptation is to change the gospel to make it more appealing to an unbelieving world, but that's not the gospel. So the third point here is, don't change the invitation. Repentance is required. This week, I met with a, a person who's new to Veritas and they asked me the question, what does Veritas believe about gay marriage? Now, don't worry, I'm not gonna go on a rant about this, but here's, here's the thing. That is not a hard question to answer. That's not hard. Like if you're a follower of Jesus and you believe the Bible, like, that's not a particularly difficult question to answer. It's like if a, someone sit down and answer, hey, what does Veritas believe about pornography? Or what does Veritas believe about cheating on your spouse, being unfaithful? What does Veritas believe about, you know, living together and like having sex before you're married? What does Veritas believe about filling the blank with, well, I'll tell you what it says, like verse 15, outside are the sexually immoral. Like what we think about it is, it will keep you out of heaven if you refuse to repent of it. As, you know, I don't struggle with gay marriage, but I struggle with other things. And I better deal with that. If I'm gonna come to the water and drink, and I better call, like, repentance is required. You're not helping people if you're making them feel better about a lifestyle of sin. And there's other things in the list here than sexual immorality. What about murder? Jesus talks about this. Your anger issues, your rage, your bitterness. Idolaters, people who love their stuff and other things more than God. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It's easy to answer some of these questions, but as you're answering them, remember 
that all of a sudden, as you're inviting this person to come to the living water to drink, you realize, whoa, I need that living water. I also struggle with that sin. You know what? Let's go together and drink from the water of life. So the last point I want to make, how do we respond to the glory of heaven? Never stop coming. How often do you get thirsty and need a drink of water? All the time, multiple times a day. That's what it's like to be a Christian. Like, this is not something you did when you were 12 years old at a youth camp. Oh, I drank from that water. I'm good. No, every day you come, come. Don't respond to that thirst with, I'll just try the next relationship or I'll try the next vacation or work for the next job promotion and a little bit more money and that next binge on whatever or that next swipe up on social media. Like maybe that will satisfy my thirsty soul. No, that's like, Come to Jesus, come and wash your robes in the blood of the lamb. That's the call of the gospel. Come drink freely. I said that earlier, we, we have a hard time imagining heaven because it's either boring or it's a place we don't really, doesn't mean anything to us. If I were to ask the question that I asked earlier in the sermon, 23 years, uh, 20, yeah, uh, 24 years ago, if I would have asked this question, how many of you want to go to Roland, Iowa or Freeman Hall on Iowa State campus? There would have been one kid in the crowd that would have jumped up and said, I want to go. That was me. Because there was someone that lived in Freeman Hall. Letha Sternberg, and I was in love with her. And I could not stop thinking about how can I get to that part of campus? Like if I go to the rec center and work out, I might be able to pass her. And she's just, oh, I, what are you doing out here? You know, I just happened to pass you going to class. No way, what a coincidence. That's all I could think about was Freeman Hall. And she's from Roland and she was enrolling like, I wanted to be enrolled. Like, because there was a person there that I loved. When it comes to heaven, why are we like, meh, Roland? I was, I don't know. Maybe we don't know the person that's there. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus this morning. Would you pray with me as we close? We're gonna take communion and this is, if you, if you wanna come, come. This is your chance. This is your chance to not just sit there and in your brain say, oh yeah, yeah, I want that, I wanna come. No, this is an opportunity to get up 
out of your seat and come. What you're coming to is this, this cup represents the blood of Christ shed for us, the bread, the body of Christ broken for us. Listen to what Jesus said when he shared communion with his disciples right before his death. He said, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Did you hear that? Like, I'm gonna drink this with you when the kingdom comes. I confer on you a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. Communion is not just to look back at the death and resurrection of Christ. It is that. But it's to look ahead at the day we will eat and drink with him in heaven. Let's worship. Let's do this in remembrance of him.